0: everybody welcome back to the bama forever podcast i'm rick morton this is scott moore it's the day after christmas we hope santa was good to you and yeah, uh and we're gonna we're gonna jump in but first scott how was uh how was christmas for you man how was santa
1: man i love santa uh, i love christmas love the <laughs> holidays it's it's great you know you know rick i was telling my one of my old buddies uh debbie's grandkids i was telling him uh, Carson, uh, was saying, listen, man, I said, th- and they called me Jim, Jim. I said, Jim, Jim actually saw Santa back in the sixties. He's like, really? What was it like? <laughs> I said, listen, and I can honestly say it's the truth. I, 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 I got up, my dad and granddad were put things out and they were Santa at the front door. And, uh, I still see it to this day. It's still sitting <laughs> in my head. And my dad <laughs> goes, you just blew it. Came in my room and said, hey, man, Santa's gone, not coming back. And, you know, that's what you get for getting up. So my my hopes faded. You know, I felt like BAM had just lost another <laughs> Dame again. And uh, my granddad came in there and said, nah, Scott, I think he's going to come back. And he, and he ended up coming back in Vista. But, yeah, Santa's for real, brother. And uh, <laughs> I tried to impress that on the young ones earlier in the week. So he's real. Well, you know,
0: I just get accused of looking like him. So that's, uh, you know, so that's, that's the way I, 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 we went to Puerto Rico a couple of years ago and people, it was right in November and people kept, you know, pointing and trying to sit on my lap and all kinds of stuff. It was, it was crazy. Um, but,
1: uh, well, man, Hey,
0: we're hoping to unwrap one more present, right? We got, uh, we got a big one, one coming up here in, uh, in just a few days. So we're, you know, six days from from tonight, we'll be, uh, we'll be through the game and we'll kind of like, we'll know where we are at that point. And, um, you know, I think we feel pretty optimistic about where, you know, where we stand. Um, tonight we're going to spend a little bit of time. We took a lot of time on our last show to, uh, to talk about the Michigan Wolverines, but let's spend a little bit of time and talk about our guys for a little bit and just Mm -hmm. what, uh, you know what we can expect out of uh, out of the Crimson Tide as uh, as they line up against Michigan. And so, why don't we uh, let's start over on the defensive side of the ball, and then we'll come back to the offense. Talk a little bit about special teams, and um, just you know, get a little flavor for what we what we expect to see uh, come New Year's Day.
1: Well, yeah, I think the I think defensively it's a great matchup with uh, with Michigan's offense. Uh, you know, you look at the receivers that Michigan's got. Good receivers, but not guys that are going to get a lot of separation. I, I said earlier in the year, we talked about this back in September, but I thought Alabama had a chance to have the best secondary in the country. And when I when I said that a couple of weeks after the Ole Miss game, people were like <laughs> laughing their head off at me. And now Alabama's got three All-Americans in the secondary. Uh, right? Two first-team All-Americans and a second-team guy. So Alabama's got the best – selection or are, are, are the best group of corners in the country and, and got the best safety back there too. So, and then Malachi Moore anywhere else, he plays anywhere else. The guy's the first team All-American as well. Sure. But, um, so a lot of depth in the secondary. And I think the way Alabama can, can cover Michigan, especially man to man, I think Alabama can again, play four guys on the defensive line. And not have to play a fifth guy in the box when you when you put the money guy in there. So mm-hmm. I think Bama can can go four down linemen, three linebackers, at seven guys in the box with a safety. Caleb Downs playing a little bit further down and covering Michigan man to man. Again, that article in the Athletic last week that you and I talked about on the last podcast, you know, was really telling because the secondary. For Alabama is 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 a strength to this team, and the tackling in the secondary is is outstanding. Caleb Downs, ninety nine tackles this year, back there, which means surefire and last line of defense, all that kind of stuff. But when I look at Michigan, and I go, okay, you can you can lock them down, cover them man to man, and covers with with, with two safeties split like Nick Saban likes to do it in the, in the mm-hmm. Georgia game, and then load up and stop the run, which they did against Georgia. And I would compare Georgia's offense very favorably with Michigan. The the thing is, I think Georgia's more talented offensively than Michigan is. Collectively, I think they have better backs. Uh, I think they got a better quarterback. I think their offensive line is better. And I think their receivers have more speed. So uh, Michigan's a great group, played well. They've won a lot of games. But this is a great matchup for Alabama's defense. So Blake Corm, 5'8", 2'19", can run the ball. They got a solid backup. But neither one are averaging what they did a year ago. Uh, and so that's for injuries not only to the backs, but mm-hmm. also to, uh, you know, Michigan's going to start uh, a new offensive guard, their best offensive guards out of this ball game. Their two tackles, I think, can be had on the edge. So the more I dive into this game – and the more, the more I like the matchup, Alabama's defensive line and the front seven against Michigan's offensive line as well, I think Michigan's going to have a hard time getting points. I really do. And uh, if Alabama doesn't help them, uh, keep the yards gained, to, you know, three or four as opposed to five and six. Got to make Michigan keep them in third and seven, third mm-hmm. and six most of the night. They're going to have some drives, Rick, where, you know, they're going to, Yep. pound it away and, and probably have some yards early in the ball game. And it seems like the first couple of drive Alabama struggled this year against everybody. And Once Alabama kind of figures out what you're doing, they, they, they seem to dictate the ball game. So if you can keep Michigan out of the end zone early in these early drives in the, in the first half and early drives in the second half, holding the field goals, keep their point total down and, and listen, play from in front in this ball game. You don't want to get behind Yep. you know seven nothing ten nothing or something like that where Michigan can then dictate how they play this ball game you want to play from in front and force Michigan into some uncomfortable situations make them beat you by throwing the ball don't let them get comfortable running so I think we both feel like stop the run sell out to stop the run and then make JJ McCarthy and these receivers beat you i i don't I don't think they can Stop the run, then you win the ball game. That's, that, isn't that the secret anyway? Yeah, stop the run, yeah. <laughs> win the giveaway takeaway. You, you used to say, right? Hey man, stop the run, win the giveaway takeaway. That's what we got. Right, to. right. Football's still the same as it was thirty years ago. So that's how I feel about it. Uh, and the more I've looked into it, I think that's the game in a nutshell: Bama's defense versus the Michigan offense.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, number one, I think one of the things that I, you know, as I've taken a look at Michigan, uh, they don't make a lot of mistakes. Um, You know, I think they were, I think they were actually the best in the country, um, you know, as far as the least penalized team in, you know, in in college football this year. If they weren't number one, they were, they were right up there in the top two or three. Um, They also, they also rank high in in, uh, giveaway, takeaway. And yeah. and so their their takeaway margin is high, their their giveaway margin's low. Um, the fact is, I, I just I think they're not going to beat themselves, and yeah, and so we're going to have to go take the game from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, but I you know as I look at it, um, you know I think you're right. I I can't see anybody on Michigan's offense that's going to be able to take the the top off the defense, and and so you know I I just I don't see the guy that's there that you know that gives them really big playability um which means that the kind of defense that you're talking is exactly what you know like what we should expect and it's it it placed Alabama's strength um you know that's our that's our base defense we're not going to do anything crazy we're not going to do anything exotic um you know, Kevin Steele's been in situations like this before. Um, he's played teams that look like Michigan before they've had three weeks to, you know, I talked on the, on the last podcast about, uh, you know, some of the, uh, interesting things, the offensive line does, and some of the, you know, some of the blocking schemes that they run that are, are different and things that you don't, you know, you don't typically see, uh, out of a team that's, that's, you know, this kind of ball club, you typically see it out of a lighter club and, and, you know, usually somebody that's running a triple option or trying to do some, you know, some things to, um, you know, to, to cause confusion. I I think at the end of the day, there's just nothing that I see that is, that's going to make this team, um, you know, particularly scary for us. Deontay Lawson's back he's going to be fully healthy, fully rested. Um, you know, so we, we get our quarterback back in, you know, for the defense. That's, uh, although, you know, the guys that played in his stead, uh, you know, Jod Campbell did a great job. I mean, they, they like yeah. we, we did, we did well in his absence, but, but we, we've, we've got our guy back. Um, you know, I think this is going to be a big game for Dallas Turner. I believe, uh, I think, you know, Dallas Turner going to be able to have uh, an opportunity to be able to make some plays in the run game. You know, potentially coming off the edge. Um, I look for us to, you know, probably do some run blitzes along the way, uh, just because of the fact that that we are going to be freed up because because there's not, you know, there's really not that scary threat in the yeah. in the secondary. I, I I think at the end of the day, Michigan's going to come out hot. Um, they they've got a lot to prove in this game you know you go back and you look at last year um you look at you know at a an incredibly em- embarrassing loss uh to a team that they never should have lost to um they you know they've they've blown their chances when when they had better teams that had a better shot at the national championship and for all the bluster for all the you know for all the hype that i've heard about michigan over the course of the last couple of weeks um I just don't see it from, you know, from an off- offensive perspective. Um, I think J.J. McCarthy's solid. I think he's incredibly accurate. Um, I mean, the guy can, can, you know, drop a ball in the bucket. Um, but, but at the end of the day, he's not going to have a window to be able to throw that ball into that much. And, and I really think he's going to be running for his life in, you know, in some places. And so um, it, may be, it may be close through halftime. Um, but I think, you know, we're beginning to see, you know, even if you look at Vegas now, the the money's beginning to trend, you know, toward Alabama. We're, you know, we're we're starting to see uh the fact that uh, you know, we're um like I just I think everybody has a feeling. And and so we're gonna, you know, we're gonna see. On now on the offensive side of the ball, we've got some pretty great potential to be able to light this thing up. And uh, and and there's a there's a lot of fun that uh, that I think potentially exists in in the game plan that uh, Tommy Reese is able to put together for the Wolverines. And so, Scott, what do you like? What do you think over on that side of the ball?
1: Well, you, you know, when you look at defensive statistics, and uh, I don't pay much attention to them week five, six, seven, eight, but you know, when you get to the end of the year and you're, you know, you've given up the fewest points in America, fewest yards. Um, you know, best total defense in the country. And, and, and you you got to look at that and go, okay, why is that? And is it because you're dominant up front? Is it because you got a great secondary? And Michigan's got a lot of uh, good players. They don't have an Aiden Hutchinson uh, over there. So they don't have that one guy that can take over a ball game from a rush standpoint. They don't have a Jabril Peppers in the secondary. They do have a lot of really Good football players. They got wow. linebackers that can can run. Linebackers are big, and, and their defensive line is very solid as well. They got a lot of depth. Got a lot of, I think, pretty good speed. And I know Nick Saban didn't like to compare teams or compare players or whatever, but I would compare them very favorably to uh, probably Georgia defensively. I don't think they're as good as Georgia defensively, but they've got those kind of athletes. Georgia's got better athletes. Georgia's got better depth, better, you know, better guys that can run, better speed, right. in the secondary, that sort of thing. So Bama has seen this year, similar defenses in a in Tennessee, and in, uh, in Georgia. And they were able to put up, uh, you know, 27 points against everybody. And so if Bama can get to 28 points in this ball game, I think it's going to be really hard for Michigan to win. And so for me, uh, you look at Ohio State, Ohio State what, put 24 on the board and, and had plenty of times of, uh, trips into the red zone when they didn't come away with points, turned the ball over in the red zone as well. And I think Alabama is better. You, you can say we we want in comparison. I think Alabama was better in Ohio State offensively at this point of the year. Ohio State had a great receiver, a generational talent at wide receiver, and he made a lot of big plays, but, and they also had a great tailback and Travion Henderson and some really good backups, but I think Alabama collectively as an offense is every bit as good as Ohio State, and I think Alabama's a better quarterback than Buckeyes is, so that being said, what's hurt Michigan? Perimeter stuff. People getting behind them, moving the chains, running the football, and I think Alabama can do that. I know Jace McClellan's not going to play this ball game. He's out. And so you're going to get Roy L. Williams. Uh, you're going to get, you're going to get jam. You're going to probably see a little bit of 22 in this ball game as well, uh, because <laughs> it's all hands on deck now. But I think Alabama's passing game, Amari Nablack should, should get opportunities. You know, can they cover, can they cover Jermaine Burton? You know, can they, can they cover 17? Cause 17 is, is open all the time. Now he was open against Georgia when Alabama had to have him on third down and he, he he was dynamic in that ball game. So can Alabama be successful on third down? They've been successful all year on third down. Mm-hmm. And, and the question is, is it going to be third and eight, or is it going to be third and five against this Michigan defense? If, if Alabama can, can make, make some plays on first and second down and, and shorten the sticks, that's the key to the ball game. You can't be in third and eight, third and nine against Michigan because you're not going to have success doing that. But Bama is able to keep it moving and it had to, it got to pick their shots a little bit against Georgia. Didn't see a lot of deep balls in that ball game. Mm-hmm. But I think Alabama will test Michigan quick and early. And, and the question is, can Michigan cover three? Can they cover 17? We're going to find out. I think we'll find out early in the ball game if they can't. Alabama, as you mentioned, has a chance to light it up. But Alabama's gonna have to have st- sustained drives. I don't think field goals win the ball game. You gotta have seven points in the red zone. And when you get opportunities to score touchdowns, gotta do it. Gotta play from in front again in this ball game. Get the lead, dictate how this game is played, and and go from there. That's the way that's the way you win this ballgame, is is doing that.
0: Well, here's here's the fact: if we don't beat ourselves, Michigan can't beat us. Bottom line. Yep. <laughs> and so, I think if we, you know, if if we're able to avoid penalties, if guys will play with discipline, if if they really focused over the course of the last three weeks, um, got back to fundamentals, if they come ready to play, I do not think Michigan has the horsepower to stay with us. They've got a good defense. They don't have a great defense. Um, they have no ability to to be able to cover us on the perimeter. I think one of the things you're probably going to see out of Tommy Reese is he's going to probably look to stretch the line of scrimmage to a degree. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some jet sweeps. We see some things where where they where he really tries to go sideline to sideline a bit. Involved
1: well, um, well, doing a lot of things like like you just mentioned. Yeah. He, he's he's going to have a, you know, I think a big role in this ball game to do those yeah.
0: things. But, yeah, yeah, I, I I think absolutely, you know, it's it's going to be one of those things where, um, Bama's going to come loaded. <laughs> that they, they're going to pull out all the tricks um, in you know in the playbook. I think you're going to see a little bit of everything. Uh, Milro is going to be ready, and I think as we've seen him, uh, as we saw him in the press conference, uh, you know, a few days ago, as He's made appearances on uh, Mac and Cube and several other shows. The poise that he's showing right now, the confidence that he's playing with, is immense. And I think you know he's he's got great confidence in the offensive line. They've played so much better in the second half of the season. And and those kids are to be lauded at this point. I think, you know, they they really have come a long way over the course of the season. And I'll, I'll be the first one to admit that I didn't believe they could make this kind of progress in a year. No. Some of the things we saw at the beginning of the season, I just felt like it was, you know, we were looking at an offensive line that was going to need a year to mature. Um, guys that were gonna were gonna need some additional coaching. They were gonna need a summer really to to be able to put the kind of work in to be able to get the kind of yield that they're getting right now. What we're seeing is guys that started out with really bad technique at the beginning of the season that are playing like seasoned veterans right now. Um, their their technique is is exceptional. They're they're playing with a great deal of confidence at this point, and and I think all of that adds up to the fact that. If Jalen Milrow gets that extra second, if he has the opportunity to, to to really be able to make a smart decision, we've seen that he will make a smart decision. And so if he needs to stick his foot in the ground and, and needs to take off to get a first down... There's no doubt that he's going to do it at this point. If if he needs to to you know scramble around a little bit and give his receivers a, an extra second, he's gonna he's gonna do that and he's gonna do it with confidence. And that's not the team that we saw the first third of the season, but it is the team that we've seen the last several weeks. And and I'm going to go so far as to say that you know one of the things again that I've heard and I've I've seen this a lot on on you know on X over the course of the last you know week or so. Michigan fans that are that are coming at us. Michigan fans have been coming at me with with a lot of comments about the fact, uh, you know, about the Iron Bowl, and and they're yeah. talking about the success that Auburn had against us. Well, I'm going to tell you something. This, this Michigan team is not Auburn, um, but also the defense that they're going to face is not the defense that they you know that they faced in the Iron Bowl. And and you know, you rightly pointed out, and you've said several times on this show the uh, that. Auburn caught us by surprise to a degree. Uh, they came out with a game plan that we didn't really expect, and and the fact is that they jammed the ball down our throats a little bit because because we came out in a bad look and it took a while to adjust. But once the adjustments were made, man, we played lights out. Um, and and so I, you know, I just again, and we said it over and over, but but let's just kind of sum this up and and kind of close this segment out with the with the the just a final statement here. So, what's your call? Uh, Give me a score. Um, At the end of the day, next Monday night, where are we going to be sitting?
1: I think Alabama's going to win it. Uh, Again, Michigan's going to score some points. It's going to be few. But I think Bama gets a late touchdown to put it out of reach. I think Alabama's going to win it 28-17. That's how I feel. I I feel like they know they got to get the 28 points. I think they can keep Michigan to 17. And uh, I think that'll be uh, again fourth quarter ball game, and then Bama gets a late score. But I, but I like Alabama twenty eight seventeen in the ball game, and I I think that's sufficient. I think that'll get it done, <laughs> and I I, I I hope that's the way it ends up. I think that it will. Yeah, but I like I like Bama twenty eight seventeen in the ball game.
0: Well, Scott, I'm gonna I'm gonna up you one just a little bit. I got to give my boy Will Reichert a little bit of a uh, little bit of shine in there, and so I'm gonna give him a field goal and i think it's going to be 31 17. I think you're right on the 17. I feel good about that. Um you know, I feel like that's the number, but uh but I think we're we're going to eat three more points out there and I think it's going to be a 31 17 ball game and we real happy. Um, hey, at the end of the day, if you're right or if i'm right, either way we're going to be ecstatic, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. But you're right. Uh, Wills probably going to find a find a field goal in there somewhere. Uh but yeah, you know, 20 if if Mamma gets to 31, guaranteed win. 28. No doubt. Again, I think, yep. uh, again, looking back at how the LSU game went and yeah, Alabama yeah. has seen some dynamic offenses this year and they've gotten into some shootouts, a shootout with LSU. It wasn't good defensively, but there's not a better offense in America than what LSU put out there, a better player. And, and you you got to put, you know, Ole Miss in that category as well with their great offense. I mean, they stretched the field. They got great tailbacks, great receivers, a great quarterback yep. that can do things. And Bama, Bama has seen it all this year. I, Michigan has not. They hadn't seen it all. You know, they certainly hadn't seen a dynamic offense or a player like, uh, what Alabama's got Jalen Milrow. And they certainly hadn't seen a behemoth offensive line like the Crimson Tide has and, and the level that they're playing at right now. So uh, if Bama avoid turnovers, as you said, Score points in the red zone, and, and and keep Michigan to a couple of field goals when they get in there, because they're they're going to move the ball. They're going to do. They're going to make some plays. I just don't think they can make enough plays in the ball game offensively to 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 get to where they need to get in this ball game. I think they got to score twenty eight to thirty one points on Alabama to do it. I, I don't think they can, and and that'll be the deal siller for me. I think Bama will get it done because of that.
0: That's the final word right there. Roll Tide! And it's hey, tough. if you're getting if you're getting ready for the game on on Monday, just like we are, one of the things that you can do to get ready is grab your title towel. If you don't know about title towel, we want to tell you about them. They're the official rally towel, the Crimson Tide. Here's a commercial to tell you a little bit more. About Tidal Towel. Introducing the Tidal Towel, the ultimate rally towel for every Bama fan. Brought to you by Whitwill Sports, your one stop shop for all things Alabama. Our Tidal Towel is not just any towel, it's a symbol of your Tide pride. Wave it high, wear it proudly, show your support for the Crimson Tide like never before. And here's some exciting news. The Tidal Towel is a proud sponsor of the Bama Forever podcast. As a special thank you to all our Tide fans listening, you can save $1 per item at Whitwillsports.com by using the code TWO at checkout. The title Towel, because true Tide fans know it's not just a towel, it's a tradition. Get yours now at witwillsports.com. Roll Tide. So head over to Sports, grab your title Towel, use the code TWO for Tide World Order. Um, that's who we are. That's part of the podcast network that we're a part of. But you, you tell them uh, through that code 2 they're going to give you a dollar off every item that you order. And you're going to be ready for the national championship game with your title towel, just like Scott and I have ours. Rick, I'm going to step away
1: for just a minute. I'm going to make sure I got the iPad charged up here. So give me one. You second. got it,
0: man. We don't want we don't want to lose you. Well, I tell you what. While Scott is stepping away to make sure that uh, his iPad doesn't lose juice, we're gonna we're gonna go for another commercial, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna see uh, a, a, a little shot here from our friends at Sarah Hyundai.
1: At Sarah Hyundai, we're not just another dealership.
0: We're an active part of the community. We work hard to be a respective and helpful addition to Central Alabama. Our work supports the community through donations to various organizations and programs that help those that are in most need. So remember, the next time you need service or a purchase of a vehicle, come to Sarah Hyundai, the ones who give back. Sarah Hyundai, serving the community for over 30 years. And if you head over there to Sarah Hyundai, one of the, one of the things that you're going to find is Scott Moore. Uh, Scott's there. He's selling Hyundais. He'd love to be able to help you. Um, it's the end of the model year. And so this is a perfect time for you to be looking for uh, the vehicle of your choice. They're closing out cars. Scott told me that they've got zero interest for 60 months right now on Hyundais. And uh, and so folks can, can head over to, to Sarah Hyundai and... They'll find you there, right, buddy?
1: That's right, man. I, I'm there all the time. So <laughs> I, you, stop by, you can go to SarahHoney.com and, and check it out. We've got uh, new vehicles, used vehicles, uh, getting rid of a lot of 23s right now. But there's a lot of special deals. It is the it is a great time to buy a car. It's the end of the year. And uh, honestly, uh, having been in this business for just a little bit, that's the one thing I've learned, that at the end of the year, uh, you're not going to get any better deals than you will right now. So uh, come on out and see us. We're open every morning from 8 o'clock till 7 o'clock every night, and we'll stay even longer than that if we need to. So 205-902-1732, or come on by and uh, and check us out in person. And we'd love, love to see you and make time for you. We appreciate the opportunity to turn your business.
0: Well, uh, like I said, go see Scott. Call him up, make an appointment. He'd love to see you you know somebody else is in the market for a car, send them because you know they're going to get a square deal uh, with our guy, Scott Moore. And, uh, and so, Scott, we're going to turn our attention and we're going we're gonna to talk just a little bit about the Rose Bowl and, and about Bama's history in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. You, you know, you and I have talked offline about this. Um, this is a subject I get pretty passionate about. And, yeah. uh, you know, my, my story goes back to, uh, to my dad. Uh, my dad was, uh, was six years old when Alabama played in, in the very first Rose bowl back in, in 1925, actually actually January 1st, 1926. Um, and my dad would tell stories about, um, you know, being able to hear that game on the radio for the very first time, um, very first national radio broadcast, Alabama was a part of that. It was a huge deal at the time. Um, but for a, for a poor kid growing up in Mobile, Alabama, um, the the pride that he took, the pride that the people in his neighborhood took uh that the Crimson Tide was able to go to California and win a national championship. Um, like I can't overstate how significant that was. Um yeah. you know, and and there are a lot of reasons for that and, and we can get into a little bit of it. I'm actually uh, this week, I'm actually putting a, a series of articles out at at com. and so every day this week, I'm going to hit a, a different post, kind of leading up to uh, the game on on next Monday, and and those those posts are going to be breaking down kind of the story of that my dad wove in our family with regard to the Rose Bowl, and and really ultimately why I became the kind of fan that I am of the Crimson Tide and developed the love that I did for the Crimson Tide. It all goes back to that very first Rose Bowl on January 1st, 1926. And, uh, and so, man, let's, let's just kind of talk a little bit about the history and, and, uh, the, the series of events, uh, Rose Bowl has been a, a key factor, which is funny to say, honestly, because, because we were absent for the Rose Bowl for so many years, but, but really, kind of as we look at tied history, the the, the history that we have today is really bookended with, uh, on both sides with, with really significant periods involved in the Rose Bowl. And so let's, let's kind of rewind it to 1925, and we'll just kind of talk our way forward and, and, and just spend a little bit of time talking about those teams and about the, the settings of the Rose Bowls that they were in.
1: Well, this is the, the cool thing is Alabama actually has the most appearances in the Rose Bowl game of any other school – outside of the big 10 or pack 12 and that's more than double any other school in that category and largely it is a result of you know Bama made six trips from 1926 to 1946 but the significance of that first one you know is when you and I love the history and the historical stuff about Bama getting on a train and taking 12 days to get out there and yeah and all that but what it did Is it put Southern football on the map and it actually, and people need to understand this statement. It put the South. Yeah, it did on the map and it made people in the other part of the country take the South seriously. And people can say, well, it's just football. Well, you know what? Football. This is the reason why football is so important in the South Bama winning that Rose bowl opened up everything and it it made people take the South seriously because it was such a magnificent win for the South. You know, that game was live on the radio at the Fox theater in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And it was sold out for that, for that. People came from all over the South to the Fox theater in Atlanta that day. And they also did it in Montgomery. They did it in Birmingham. They did it there. But the Fox Theater was the place to go hang out. So right. people traveled all over the country to be at the Fox Theater that day so they could listen to the broadcast. And so to win that ball game and then Bama's famous fight song came out, remember the Rose Bowl, we'll win then. You know, go on to victory. Hit right. your stride. your Dixie's football pride, Crimson Tide. That gives you goosebumps when you Oof. think about that. It it, it, <laughs> it you know it's it's amazing. But that that win it gave it gave football in the South the the oomph that it needed to start something amazing. And and Alabama was the one that gave the hope to the South by that that very first win. But Bama again going all those times between twenty six and forty six and what it led to a national title in in 1925 led to one in 1926 led to one in 1936 1941 so four national championships were won then you know bam and i keep telling people the, the new generation of bama fans it's great to have them but you've got to embrace the entire history bama's been winning football games for 150 years now we I mean we celebrated the The uh, 100th anniversary of Alabama football in 1992 with another national championship. Here we are 33 years later, and Bama is still winning championships. So, but that first one uh, in the Rose Bowl is what created what we got now. And uh, even with a loss, you know, Bama went back the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it it was the fact that they went there; they were able to be one of the great programs of the yeah. of the times. Washington, Johnny Mac Brown became famous; became a you know a, a great movie star in <laughs> Hollywood, and right. I just you know put it put Alabama on the map. I'll tell you, what, and I'll let you talk about it next, but yeah, the thing I love the most is when you go back and look at the pictures. The Aniston Star did a an, an unbelievable write up here. Of, uh, you know, back in the day, but they've kind of reposted some of that history. But the train station, when Alabama arrived back in Tuscaloosa, there was, I don't know how many people, but close to 50,000 fans that arrived in Tuscaloosa waiting on Alabama at the, at the train station. I mean, people from all over that were there that day, 50,000 people back in the 1920s just welcoming the team back to Tuscaloosa for that first national championship for the South and for the University of Alabama.
0: Well, you talked about you know you talked about how important this was for the South, and I think yeah. one of the things that points that out is um, not only was there a huge crowd in Tuscaloosa when the team actually arrived back,
1: yeah. there
0: were there were crowds at every rail stop all the way along their way on the way back, and and so this was this was really a national thing. And, <laughs> and you know, right, there was it, it, even one of the things that I, that I read in, even in, in prep for the series of articles was something new that I hadn't heard, which is I knew that there, there'd been a, a huge crowd of people that actually met the train in New Orleans. So the team actually had to change trains. So they, they were on one train all the way from California to New Orleans. They actually then had to, had to, you know, make a stop and change uh, yeah. In order to be able to get back into to Alabama, and um, so there was a there was a huge celebration there in uh, in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. A, a, a thousand Tulane fans showed up. A thousand Tulane students showed up at, at the train station in New Orleans uh, because it was such a big deal for for the South and for Southern football. And so here you had one of the one of Alabama's biggest rivals at the time, uh, conference foe. And, and a thousand of their students showed up to, to, you know, to, to, to be able to celebrate with the tide. You know, I, I think it was, it was hard for me to understand for a long time. And I I think as I got older, what, one of the, one of the things my dad and I talked about a lot is um, he was just really honest to say, you know, growing up in the South, growing up poor, (laughs) you know, um, there wasn't a whole lot to be prideful about. They didn't right. you know, they didn't have a whole lot to hang on to. And uh and, and the truth is that, that that was a that was a thing that went all the way back to um you know, it, it really went all the way back to the Civil War and to Reconstruction. And there was this mindset that um that the South was somehow inferior, that the South was somehow behind. Um, and and so the forward thinking of President Denny to to be able to you know, really think and focus on the idea that this invitation to to go to the Rose Bowl could be transformational, uh, not only for the University of Alabama but for, for the entire South. Uh, he was he was a visionary. He was before his time, and so when he allowed um, the university um, to be able to make um, that trip and allowed our guys allowed the you know the Alabama football team to be able to make that trip. Um President Denny was lauded by the other presidents that were a part of the southern conference um you know there there's stories about the uh the president at Auburn at the time um u s senators other you know other folks of of great importance in the South that were sending telegrams to President yeah. Denny congratulating him on on the birth into the rose Bowl and and wishing him and the team well because i think i think folks understood that the the possibility to um to for a southern team to be able to have a shot to be in that ball game was was immense uh never mind when they won <laughs> You know, and uh, and they went out, and and it was a it was an incredible ball game. I mean, I if you you know if you if you go back and and obviously there's no way to go back and watch film or anything like that, and so we're just reading accounts, newspaper accounts, and that sort of thing. But uh, Alabama got behind, and uh, they were behind uh, going into the fourth quarter, and were able to pull out a win, twenty to nineteen, um, against Washington. And and it was, you know, this was this, this was like this was an incredible win that nobody saw coming. And really, as you said, play Southern football on the map. Alabama went back the next year, uh, was able to pull off a tie against Stanford and, you know, and had the opportunity to, you know, win another national championship. As a matter of fact, um, you know, they they were undefeated through their first four Rose Bowls. They they were uh, 3-0-1 uh, at the end of their, you know, at the end of their first streak there through the, you know, through the 19, uh, 1920s into the early 1930s, um, finally lost one in, in 1938. And, uh, and, but the 1938 team was undefeated going into, you know, going into the Rose Bowl and, and, you know, really had, uh, you know, had a, a fantastic ball club. And, and so I, I liken it to What we lived through in in the '60s and '70s, and what our kids have lived through in you know in recent times, the 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 magnitude of of those you know those Rose Bowl wins in from the mid 1920s to the mid 1930s was completely unheard of, Um, and, and 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 completely unexpected, and and set the tone for, uh, a dynasty that, you know, that we continue to, you know, to, to reap the benefits of today. But man, the thing that just like, I can get, I, I really can get emotional, you know, talking about this because, because yeah, I, I think what they did is they brought hope, um, to, to a lot of people that had no hope and, and they gave, you know, they gave a sense of pride and a sense of dignity to people that were struggling to, you know, to see themselves with dignity, and heading into the Great Depression, that was that was immensely important, and and yeah. so even through the years where Alabama wasn't winning national championships through kind of the the mid 30s, and and in, you know we think about that as being a little bit of a you know a little bit of a lull period, but the fact is we were still winning ball games, we still had successful ball clubs. Um, the Southern Conference was becoming a juggernaut through that stretch. And and really, we saw the the balance of power begin to shift in college football. Um, it shifted away from the Ivy League. It shifted away from you know the the schools that were that were kind of the foundation and the grounding of college football. And and really, the like the the center of activity shifted to the south, and it kind of remains here to this day.
1: It, it does, and you know, and again, both of us are historians. Uh, we are. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't think you can honestly be an Alabama fan and not be a little bit of a historian, because part yeah, of the like I agree being a Bama fan is, you know, you you hear the outside noise. Well, you know, you can't claim. Well, you, you can claim championships when that's how they gave them away back then. When you go to right. Rose Bowl, and you go play in that game, only only two teams got invited to play in the Rose Bowl back then. There right. wasn't any other. There was not any other bowl games. It was you either got in the Rose bowl or you didn't play one. Right. And so those early championships for Michigan, for Alabama, for Notre Dame, you know, they're all one and, 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 and are recognized and historically should be recognized. And, uh, but uh, I've I've seen some jokes uh, on Michigan boards lately. Like how does How does Michigan only have three more wins in the Rose Bowl than Alabama? <laughs> well, that's because Alabama started <laughs> going a long time ago. And you know, then I think I think one of the things that you know that people don't realize, you know, they in the '60s they finally made the tie-in, uh, which I think I really believe the Rose Bowl eventually uh, probably regretted making that tie-in mm-hmm. with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and and for many years, you know, there there's a lot of there's a lot of big big wins out there, but the Pac twelve, you know, slowly over the last thirty years, um, with with the exception of USC's little run there with Pete Carroll, it's been irrelevant in college football. Yep. And so the big the Rose Bowl has has had a, a handful of games, only a handful in the last fifty years that that really had a, an impact on the national title. And uh, you think about Michigan, last national title for Michigan, 1997, you know, when they were able to beat Washington State in that bowl game, and then they shared the national championship with Nebraska that year. And so, uh, but Michigan hasn't won an outright national championship, I think since the 60s. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that, that's one reason the scorecard is the way it is. But I also think now in this new era, that the Rose Bowl has a chance by partnering up with the College Football Foundation that it did, and the College Football Playoff, and all of them getting on the same page because it was it was up to the Rose Bowl here uh, a couple months back that we didn't know if the Rose Bowl was going to be involved in the playoff or not, right? And so right. this is the first you know this is the first time since uh, Georgia and Oklahoma. Uh, one, one, uh, or I guess it was one versus four, or one versus three, or, or two versus three. Last time you had a significant game, then of course, the most talked about Rose Bowl of our lifetime was probably Texas and Southern Cal, uh, which didn't involve you know Big Ten teams. So, right, you know, I, I think that I think the Rose Bowl has a chance now to, to be much more significant. Moving forward, uh, uh, certainly now with the way the Big Ten's expanded, and you've got the the Big Ten and the Pac-12 in the same conference now. So we're going to see more of these matchups moving forward. I think that's big for the Rose Bowl. They say what they want about the stadium and and, and all that. But playing in this game, this is very significant. And I know Alabama fans are eagerly looking forward to it. And it's the highest ticket prices (laughs) we've seen at this bowl game. (laughs) 30 years. So going to be re- well, rather significant a week from the uh, a week from well well 5 days now from five,
0: yeah. I so so the narrative I heard growing up and and what you know what I always heard my daddy say was that that the reason that the agreement was made between the Pac 12 or actually at that time the PCC and the Big 9 was the fact that they got tired of southern teams particularly the University of Alabama coming out to the west and whipping them. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I took that with a grain of salt for a long time. You know, I, like I heard my daddy talk about those kind of things, but going back and studying it's, it's hard to feel a a different way, honestly, you know, you, you go back and you look at it. So we, we were able to be in, in the Rose bowl in, in 1945, the 1946 Rose bowl at the end of the 1945 season was our last opportunity to play in the, in the Rose bowl in, in that era. And, you know, of course, we we didn't, uh, although we were undefeated and and beat a, a really good uh, what Cal team, I think, in in the Rose Bowl that year, um, we didn't win a national championship. We actually finished third because that was the year 1945 season was the year that Army won the national championship. And that was, you know, that, of course, was Glenn Davis and Doc Blanchard and the probably greatest team that's ever played college football uh, was the 1940s
1: on army and navy teams back right
0: right but but also like i mean if (laughs) if you want to if you want to be a historian and i don't know that i'm gonna write this down anywhere or say this anywhere but right here but but if you want to really be a historian the reason that army and navy were so good was the fact that they leveraged recruiting rules for the 1945 season in a way that they collected talent from all over the country And so what they did is they took guys that were still enlisted in the military and they they sent them off to West Point. They got a year out of most of them. They had an incredible team in 1945, and most of those guys had either run out of eligibility or went back to the school that they came from by the time we got around to the 1946 season. And so Army had this, this one epic run. Um, which by the way, who in the world would have voted against them in a poll if if it had come down to, you know, to a, a straight up vote, nobody was going to vote against army. And, and so they were a shoe in to win the national championship in 1945, regardless if they hadn't won it, Navy would have, um, who's not going to give it to a service academy, but, uh-huh. but nevertheless. So, so, you know, in my mind, I mean, being a ho- the homer that I am, I think 1945 is an unclaimed national championship and, you know, just on, on fairness and recruiting, we probably should already have our, our 19th championship because we ought to be able to claim 1945. Well, but what happened during the 1946 season? And so after the 1946 Rose Bowl, um, all the meetings and all the stuff started in order to, to basically freeze the South out of the Rose Bowl. And so I think at that point, the Rose Bowl was trying to hold on uh, to the fact that they were the national championship game. Um, we'd begun to see the emergence of, of other bowl games at that point. And, and so the Rose Bowl was beginning to lose their grip, and they had to do something. And so their something was they were trying to to secure their economic future, Um and so they took a look at it and said, look, if we're going to sign an agreement with anybody, we're going to sign it with the big nine. And, and the reason is because most of the wealth in the country is in the states that belong to the big nine. And so they, they, they did it purely for, for tourism dollars. Now, and I'm and I'm off on a jag and I need to stop, but but here, but here's the thing and I and this is the last thing I want to say tonight and then we can actually come back and pick this up, talk a little bit of we going to have a little bit of fun with it after, you know, after we break down the game next week. But one of the things that I that I've read and I'm I'm a little fired up about this and I actually want to have a want to have a reasoned discussion with some folks a, about it, but one of the narratives that I've heard that has started to, to float around about the Rose Bowl and about the agreement between the, the PCC and, and the Big Nine is that the reason the rest of the country was frozen out, particularly the South, was because of segregation. Right. And segregation did come to play in this story, and, and it was a, it was a, a significant thing in, uh, in Alabama's Rose Bowl history, but it wasn't in 1946 and 1947, it was actually in 1961 when it came up and it was, it was really a factor. And, and so I think there's some out in the West and and there's some folks that are in, you know, in the, in the schools in the big 10 that want to rewrite history and they want to be on the right side of an issue that they weren't on the right side of in 1946 and 1947. And, and so they, they want to, they want to single the South out and, and say that there was there was something um, you know that that the the South was doing wrong in in segregation that wasn't happening in in, in the rest of the country, and that's just not true. Um, and and so what we saw though, <laughs> for whatever reason, is that uh, that Southern teams were were left out of the Rose Bowl, but the Rose Bowl increasingly became more irrelevant because the national championship game began to occur in other places. And so Alabama competed for a cotton bowl, for instance, uh, when in the, the 19 was 1941 cotton bowl. Is that right? I'm yeah. calling some, I'm calling some years that I'm not sure if I've got the right one, but 19, 1940 national championship for Alabama, 1941 cotton bowl. Um, and and that was that was kind of the place where you started to see the Cotton Bowl start to to lose their, I mean the, uh, I'm sorry, the Rose Bowl lose their grip on the national championship game, and and over the years successively, um, you know, we saw the Rose Bowl, as you said, become more irrelevant and more irrelevant. Um, I think they had a chance to be honest with you in
1: 1961. They did, uh, but I tell you this: when you start talking about Bama's bowl history, that's one thing that again, Bama people. <laughs> whole dearly.
0: Yeah, we Yeah, you know,
1: the most bowl appearances by any team, winningest bowl program of all time, and you know, and a lot of people probably know this, but maybe some new people don't. But Alabama is the only program in major college history that's won all four major New Year's Day bowl games twice. They won the Rose Bowl twice, won the Sugar twice. They so multiple wins of the Sugar, multiple wins of the Orange and uh, multiple wins at the Rose, multiple wins at the Cotton Bowl. Those are always known as the big four. and Bama's the only school in the history of college football that went both tw- went all four of those twice. Uh pretty pretty amazing bowl lineage that started with that first Rose Bowl back in 1925, man. Just uh, That's it, man. It's a uh, make sure makes makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck, man. And that, that's and again, Bama, the nation's Winningest bowl team and uh, just another opportunity in, in this Rose Bowl to to add to its its long history.
0: And so Monday afternoon we get our shot to go back and to play in the Rose Bowl yep. in Pasadena for the first time since 1938. No, since 1945. I'm sorry. Yeah, 1946, January 46. And so. And so here's the deal, man, like of all the things we've talked about, all the all the opportunities, the 2009 National Championship game that was played in Pasadena wasn't the Rose Bowl. No, it was the
1: BCS title game, yep.
0: <laughs> the Rose Bowl that was played in Arlington, Texas, in you know, a, after the 2000 season was the Rose Bowl, but it wasn't played in the Rose Bowl. No, yep. played in Dallas. So, so this sure. is the first time we've had an opportunity to go back. I can yeah. tell you, man, I'm gonna be a crying mess.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, it is. Uh, it, I, I was looking. Uh, I was looking at some of the comments uh, and appreciate all the people posting yeah. great comments. One guy said that he was ready to run through a wall listening to <laughs> us talk, and that uh, <laughs> he was got about, about being brought to tears. And, and listen, that's that's great. That's you know we we want this podcast to have that kind of effect on people. That's right. And, Uh, and hopefully it will, uh, because, you know, these are, these are facts that are undisputed, you know, and, uh, uh, it, it, it is very exciting to start, you know, when you start really thinking about the magnitude of this ball game and everything going on with it. And, uh, it's going to be an honor and a privilege to play in it. And, uh, I think, I think the players are, have a really good grasp of, of what they're, getting involved with on, on Monday at four o'clock in the, in the afternoon here in the South.
0: Well, folks, we appreciate you uh, being with us. We appreciate yeah, you uh, taking you. the time being along for the ride. We appreciate those of you that, that, uh, that got in on the chat and, uh, and had some, some opportunities for us to be able to interact with you. Um, we're fired up. We went about we went about twenty minutes overtime because we got fired up talking about the Rose Bowl. And <laughs> uh, but listen, yeah, we'll we're this week too, man. We, we are do, we'll do we are more, yeah. we're gonna come back. We're gonna you know we're gonna stay at it and uh, and and we're not going anywhere. We're gonna we're gonna continue to get ready. You get ready. Um, we're gonna look forward to the game on Monday night and uh, let's plan on meet back here on Tuesday. And uh, and let's have a big celebration. We'll celebrate the win. We'll talk a little bit more about Rose Bowl history. We'll get into some other stuff. And we might even preview uh, who we're going to get a chance to play in the national championship game. That just tells you how confident I am about where I think we're going to be sitting uh, That's come Monday night.
1: That is the <laughs> expectation. Go win it all. This is a stepping stone. Let's go win it all.
0: That's it. All right. For the Bama Forever Podcast, I'm Rick Morton. This is Scott, Morton. Scott Moore. and uh and we are here to tell you roll tide roll tide everybody we'll see you next tuesday